Hello, and a very good day to you. My name is Jim Harris, and this is Heritage Bible Radio. Heritage Bible Radio is an extension of Heritage Bible Church in Boise, where it's my joy to serve as the teaching pastor. Every day, we devote our radio time to studying a portion of the Word of God so you can know Him better through Jesus Christ and serve Him better through your local church. This week on Heritage Bible Radio, we continue in our Sermon on the Mount series, closing out chapter 5 in the book of Matthew with verses 43 through 48. Before we get into Jesus' challenging statement here today, let's set our minds by asking ourselves, who do you love and why? You might answer that question by asking things like, well, who is worthy of my love? Who loves me? Who is closest to me? Who deserves some good from me? Well, that's how humans think. But for the Christian, we are called to love as God loves, and that changes everything. Consider that God first loved us when we were yet his enemies, and it was when we hated him that he died for us and saved us. So then, how are we to love our enemies? It's noteworthy that Jesus didn't say, if you love everyone, it's impossible to have enemies. No, Scripture recognizes that we do have enemies. Well, if they are our enemies, considering what that word means, a person who is actively opposed to or hostile to us, who may even desire or actively seek or even have achieved our harm, why should we love them? How can we love them? Please join us all week for important answers. Here is today's piece of the message entitled, Love Your Enemies. What did Jesus do for us? You're familiar with the words in Romans 5. Let me pluck out verse 8 and verse 10. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And then verse 10, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. See, that's the example. You love that one as you love yourself. Loving enemies means treating them kindly despite your human feelings to the contrary. That shows what you're made of. And as a matter of fact, that's what verse 45 says. Um, So that, or in order that, you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven, for He causes His Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Now, understand here, when he says, so that you may be sons, he means so that you may prove yourself to be a child of God, that you may prove yourself, show yourself by your actions who you are on the inside. So think of it as you may prove yourself to be a son of God, a child of God. If you have received Christ, you've been saved by grace, you are a child of God already. But son-like behavior, when you behave character-wise like the Son of God, that confirms the fact to others. It demonstrates who you really are. Now, Jesus does not mean that by praying for uh, an enemy or being kind to an enemy that you become a child of God. That's not how you 
earn salvation because you can't earn salvation. He's telling you that when you act in a Christ-like manner, you're showing the life of Christ is in you. And again, God himself is the pattern. And he states that here. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. God's character does not change depending on who's around to see what he does. He is good all the time. Your character shouldn't change depending on who's around. True character is rooted in the heart. God lets the sun shine on the crops of the unrighteous just like on the crops of the righteous. He lets His rain fall on the crops of all people regardless because He is good. I found this little illustration years ago. I don't know if it actually happened or not. I've done kind of a thing like it, but picture a a man and his teenage son walking down the street in a small town where they live, where everybody knows everybody and everybody knows about everybody. They are met momentarily by a woman walking the other direction, and she is known by all to be the chief prostitute in town. As they pass, the father nods, and he says, good morning. The son's face turns red. And as soon as they're out of earshot, the son turns and says, Dad, don't you know who that woman is? Don't you know what she is? And the dad said, I'm not too sure about that woman, but I know for certain that I am a gentleman. Now, suppose in that town that woman had a crisis. Who might she be most likely to reach out to? Somebody that treated her with hatred or somebody that was a gentleman? Being polite, treating with kindness, praying for someone, doing good for someone, protecting their animal that got loose, that doesn't mean that you condone the evil behavior of the other person. It shows who you are. If God offers the benefits of what theologians call common grace to everybody, the sun rises on righteous and the unrighteous, the rain falls on the righteous and the unrighteous, if that's God, then it is certainly appropriate for His children to show His love even to enemies. Now, bear in mind there's a couple different categories of grace. Grace means unmerited favor. Okay, there is... Special grace, or we sometimes call it efficacious grace, that is the grace of God which specifically saves individual people, as in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Or the John six forty four version of that. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on that on the last day. That's specific grace or special grace or efficacious grace. Common grace is, well, it's grace that's common. It's common to everyone. It's the basic goodness of God to all people, and that's the standard by which we should function in relation to people even who 
hate us. And since love is an immutable attribute of God, if you're a child of God, you should act like your dad. Matthew 5, 46, Jesus gets real specific. And remember, there are Pharisees there, and by now their temperature has probably risen three degrees. He says, For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? Now, tax gatherers were a despised group among the Jews. Here's the way the system worked. Rome controlled a lot of territory, a lot of different peoples. The Jews were one of the peoples that God controlled. In each region, a wealthy man, an entrepreneurial business type, could pay a sum of money to the Roman government for the privilege of getting sort of a franchise to control the taxation over a certain region. They could levy tolls on exports and imports. As goods changed hands, they could tax them. Uh, Whatever merchandise passed through the region, they could tax it. Those who controlled the region would sublet their rights to the chief tax collectors. If you read the King James uh, Version and you run across the word publicans, that refers to the chief tax collectors who were kind of like the the highest rung in the multi-level marketing system of being a a tax collector, just under the highest guy in uh, the region. So just remember, the publicans collected taxes from the Democrats. Okay, um, that you didn't admit. Well, don't worry about it. But it might help remember what the word means. Okay, now the chief tax collectors, the publicans, employed the tax collectors, and they were the ones who dealt specifically with the people in the region. They would charge the tax collectors would charge whatever the traffic would bear. They had to give a certain amount to the publicans who had to give a certain amount to the regional muckymuck in the tax collecting world, but there were huge profits at every level of that. So the tax collectors became very wealthy and very despised. They kept the difference between what they had to turn in and what they could actually collect. So tax collectors had the reputation basically of being extortionists. And these tax collectors... If they were Jews, they were were regarded by the other Jews not only as extortionists, but also as traitors. So tax collectors were considered like exhibit A for sinners. These are the worst of the worst of the worst. Remember I've told you if you asked asked people on the day that Jesus gave this sermon, point out a righteous person to me. They would have looked for a card-carrying Pharisee. Because they declared themselves righteous. If you said to them, who is the worst sinner in the area? They would have looked through the crowd and said, where's the tax collector? That was their definition of a sinner. And guess who it was who didn't like the idea of Jesus actually caring for tax collectors? Luke 15, 1 and 2. Now all the tax gatherers 
and the sinners were coming near him to listen to him. If you would like this message on Compact Disc, let me know and we'll send it to you. You'll receive the entire message, not just the portion on today's program. You can order by phone at 353-4036 or by writing to us at 7071 West Emerald, Boise, Idaho, 83704 or on the internet at hbc-boise.org. Heritage Bible Radio needs your prayers and your financial support. Once again, you can reach us online at hbc-boise.org or by telephone at 353-4036 or by writing to us at 7071 West Emerald, Boise, Idaho, 83704. And if you need a church home here in the Treasure Valley, I hope you'll visit us any Sunday at 7071 West Emerald. For Heritage Bible Radio, I'm Jim Harris. See you next time. Bye-bye.